0: I'm just, yeah, I'm going to, we'll just pick up where we were left off. I think Mark Zuckerberg watches this movie and thinks p- pleasant thoughts about himself. I was very excited. Yeah, uh, I think
1: so, yeah. That's probably safe to say. Whatever this augmented reality thing is. It's the only
2: thing that allows him to feel human. Right. Uh,
0: truly. I like. I don't know what he's into, but I know it's. Thinking about being a Halliday type and people liking him. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> just, but you can't
1: be Halliday and people like you. Please worship me. Yeah, please, 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 li-
0: please clap. Please, <laughs> please, uh, please I'm human. Jeb.
1: Exclamation yeah, point. It's, it's, it's just... Jeb Bush. Yeah, please clap. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's Zuckerberg. Uh, you know the smoked meats thing. The what? There's a he's live streamed a barbecue and he just kept talking about smoking meat. It's very funny.
1: I mean, I like the smoke, but... Uh, but he was carrying
2: a sausage around like a cigar? <laughs> like ah! a cigar.
0: you <laughs> <laughs> smoking a cigar quite little. A cigar. That's what this movie needs. This movie's <laughs> got everything but a uh, guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where's Edward G. Robinson's well, game? You know? Yeah. Ed,
0: Edward G. Robinson
1: <laughs> as the Penguin. I mean, Damn, really. See, is what we've yeah. always... Need.
2: Yeah, you see? You know. Batman, you see? We're getting the, that Colin Farrell type next year. Oh god, can't, can't wait, wait for can't that. Wait. Do we,
0: can we talk about anything other than this? Are we going to talk about this at some point? <laughs> I think we're going to get there.
2: Hello
1: okay. everybody and welcome get the Good Trash and cast. We gather around our table and discuss the films you never want to discuss. I mean, you'll never discuss in a film today's course. This week's film, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. I'm still Dustin.
2: I'm still Arthur.
0: Uh, I am still Dalton, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, well,
2: Are no, you jacked into the Oasis? Well, man? I we, have, did, we have to come up with our avatars now, right? I, I
0: shaved my beard off since I last saw you guys. So you have, that's, yeah,
1: you're very baby facing. Yeah, it's it
0: sort of changed my avatar a little bit.
2: Daltonia, lowercase d, the number four, and capital L seven zero.
0: It's actually Dollywood Squares. Uh, That's really what it is. Yeah. You to, I'll, I'll game with you, listener. Come game with me. <laughs> Dollywood squares like Come everything.
2: game with me. Come yeah. game. Let's game, game away. away.
1: <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about Red Player One, but just to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. Although there's a little bit of review at the first, I'll say more about that in a moment, we tend to spoil films to do analysis because it seems that spoilage is required. But here is how we let you off the hook in case you have not tuned Into Ready Player One. We start off with a synopsis, which is again, as always, a spoiler-less kind of experience. Then we move into our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which are brief and a very, very short part of the show, in which there might be the gentlest of spoilers. We'll tell you what the movie's about, but we won't tell you about plot points. Then we move into a little game we like to call Expanding the Syllabus, which might involve more moderate spoilers, but more likely spoilers of films in its orbit, because we'll talk about how they relate. And oftentimes that's tied to plot. And then finally we get down to full business. And once that happens, all spoiler bets are off. And we will tell you all about how it ends, how it should have ended, and or maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Whatever we
0: feel like talking about.
1: But, yeah, there is no moratorium at that point. So you have been warned, my friends. With that, Dr. Reverend Arthur Gordon,
0: Bishop Reverend Dr. Uh, Arthur Gordon, General... Major doctor, surgeon, general. He's general, a very model of a modern major general. That's true. I have heard that, actually. <laughs> Can we have a synopsis, please?
2: In the year 2045, life has primarily moved online. People still live their day-to-day functions out as normal, but social life is found in the oasis. And the most exciting thing to do in the oasis is hunt for the Easter eggs left in by one of its co-founders. When the challenge is complete, one lucky player... Will unlock more than they ever could have hoped for.
0: It 20- might be love that he unlocks. It usually is. Yeah. Okay. It'll keep us together. Twenty forty five. All right. So is that, f- is that how much longer we have? I don't. I don't think <laughs> twenty three years. I don't well, think we have another twenty we're, years. We're already there. <laughs> exactly. Um, I know. That's what I'm saying.
1: Okay. Well, let's let's do some thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I go to you first, Dalton. What do you think of the Mick Matrix? It's
0: <laughs> Fine, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> i calling it Mick Matrix is absolutely sp- fascinating. I love that. Uh, I don't know. It's weird that Warner Brothers made this movie again when they made their Space Jam sequel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They like they are just looking for a way to turn their entire brand into an expanded universe. And it's I don't know, man. It's something. It's a move. I, I, beats the hell out of me. They figured out that they can't do the Marvel thing, so they gotta try something else with all the shit that they own um yeah i don't know there's moments that it really works you know i think it very judiciously uses exposition i think it, it sets up what this world's deal is very succinctly very quickly it doesn't get bogged down in the details too much um i i think there's some set pieces that are really fun you know i think largely being an animated film let spielberg play around in sort of a, a, a way that he did with uh, the 1010 movie um, I, which I haven't seen, but I've seen pieces. It's good. Of pieces. I've, yeah, I've seen clips of some of the action set pieces, and you go, oh, well, that's what he does if he, physical constraints don't matter. And I think he does a little bit of that here. It's pretty cool. Um, there's a, I mean, I'll just spoil this. I, this. I don't feel like this is a spoiler to say that part of the movie takes place in the movie The Shining. I don't, you know, that's whatever. It's in the trailer, isn't it? No, it was a pretty big like surprise. Mm-hmm. This is a part of the oh, movie it? when no. it came out, but I, guess I was just aware in general from the culture. Yeah, I, right. I feel like that's part of this movie's what people talk about when they talk about this movie. So I don't feel like it's a spoiler. That 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 works great, man. That's that's some real movie magic trick stuff, and I, I do absolutely go for it. But I don't know. It, it solves some of the novel's problems. Um, but it does still end up being a special boy movie about a special boy, and the only thing that makes him special is how much he plays video games. That's a bad thing to make a movie about and a bad thing to write a book about. Uh, The book's okay insofar as that, like, it paints a compelling enough hero's journey, but it's it's all the worst stuff about this movie turned up to 11, Uh, all all the, like, cringiest aspects of this with, like, a little less self-awareness, which, weirdly, I think Spielberg brings some of, I am curious, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more. You know, this movie is so caught up in nostalgia for Spielberg's generation of storytellers. It it makes me wonder, like, what if somebody twenty to forty years younger than Spielberg had made this movie? Definitely, you know, somebody who grew up watching his stuff. You mm-hmm. know, uh, it definitely makes you wonder what the movie would be like. But there's there is some self awareness that comes from the fact that this dude is way too old to care about video games. You know what I mean? I'm sure he has some. Vague thoughts about him. I mean, he was involved with those Medal of Honor games at some point uh, after the Saving Private Ryan boom. But I, I don't know. He he brings something resembling self awareness to this that the book lacks, and I, I appreciate that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think McMatrix sums it up quite succinctly. Um, there's just far too many commercials in this, and like it shouldn't be that distracting, but it is, and it's even more distracting when that's part of the plot of the movie. Is that the bad guy wants to put more? Ads in your video game. It's weird. It's we, it's, we, it's a weird cognitive dissonance that you have to get over while watching this movie, and I'm I'm not able to do it for whatever reason.
1: Very good. Very good. Okay. Well, what do you think, Arthur, of who framed um, Call of
2: Duty? Almost. <laughs> <We> almost. <laughs> These got are there. pretty good. Yeah.
0: I, I keep taking a swing at bat. <laughs> yeah. We're getting there. McMatrix
2: still gets me though. That's a good one. Um, I think that. Steven Spielberg is very good at assembling movies. Uh, I think that is purely an effect here. I, I think in the hands of probably 90% of other directors, it would have been a much worse experiment. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think there is a, a crop of filmmakers who could have done something more interesting with this, as you say, somebody younger maybe, or the finger on the pulse type of a thing, or sure. could try to subvert the the messaging of the the source. period. I'm not familiar with the book. I was going to try to read it this week, but that... Uh, did not happen. Uh, so I, I I do think though that Spielberg is great at putting entertainment together, and, and there are moments of this film that are are great. I, I think those first two set pieces, those first two challenges, are real cool. I, I love that race through town. Uh, I love the the bit with the T Rex from Jurassic Park. I, I love King Kong, uh, kind of hanging out. I, I think those are fun bits. I, I think that Shining uh, set piece is one of the finest things to be put on a, on a screen. Uh, I, I think it is so well done integrating CGI into that 70s cinematic aesthetic uh, so well, and then just kind of playing in that world. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I think that's really cool. I think all of those kind of in-between pieces are real forgettable. Uh, there's nothing new here, nothing exciting except for... Now he set it in a video game. I can
0: never decide. Let me ask you this. What do you think of like the look of the Oasis? Because obviously there's a lot of stuff that's just like Freddy Krueger, Master Chief, or whatever, but they're, they're quote-unquote unique or original I mean, there's kind of like... Yeah, I mean... H kind of looks cool. H is yeah. like a cyborg orc. Yeah. A cyborg? A cyborg, yeah. Yeah,
2: very, very Lord of the Rings looking, right? Yeah, but with like, um, Cyrax. And Artemis kind of... I mean, I, I guess that will kind of look yeah, cool. She's... I think he looks better... What Percival... I think he looks better before the hair change at the beginning. He's got a better hairdo before looks he changed better changes. with the fade than the yeah. feathered haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, You know, I, I think things like that. But, I mean, I guess it's fine. Um, I, I'm not too, you know, bought into it. I mean, I can't really remember much about it. I mean, that's the thing, right? right? Yeah. Like, it's- sitting here, think- I've seen it twice. Uh, thinking back to a few days ago when I watched it, I can't really recall much about it that doesn't look. Very different from any other movie set in this side of the world. Like Wreck It Ralph, you know what I mean? Like, yeah,
0: you're absolutely right though to invoke movies that are set in a second world though, because that's such a big part of should be a big part of this, and is a big part of things like The Matrix, Wizard of Oz, yeah, whatever. Um, you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't have that.
2: There's no defining quality to yeah, the Oasis when you
0: jack in. There's no like the
2: coolest the, things about the Oasis are the movies and the things that it rips. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's what partially kills that third challenge because it's just so much noise on screen that I, I don't that care some cool every once in there a while is.
1: but like yeah it's got that world of warcraft kind of look you know yeah it's just fine just
2: generic fantasy um but i think that's the thing i mean i think at the end of the day this is a it's a movie it's fine uh i'm not bored watching it uh but three days later i'm pretty vague on the details you know, and I think that's really where it falls apart. I, I'm also, the more I think about the ending, the more frustrated I get. Uh, I, <laughs> I I, I don't know where we're going there. You know, I think highly problematic and, and shoots itself in the foot and doesn't know what it's wanting to do. I, I think the more interesting movie here is Rylance and Simon Pegg. Yeah. Uh, and we just get glimpses of that. But I think that's the more interesting story to be told. And I think that's where Spielberg probably identifies more than he does with Percival or any of these other characters, right? He's Mark
0: Rylance. Yeah,
2: I mean, all intents and purposes, yes. Um, I think it is, to your point, you know, it does get a little too cute. I mean, the Zemeckis cube is fun, but we've already got the DeLorean. I don't know that we need this whole thing. The whole buck I, bu- Buckaroo Banzai thing—I don't, I don't.
0: I know. think that one's straight from the book. There's some stuff that yeah. is, and some stuff that isn't. Yeah. yeah. What they had
2: rights to, and what they didn't have rights to, is I think the yep. delineating factor there. Totally.
0: Although they did achieve some rights, I mean, we did
1: see the Star Trek, you know, insignia uh, yeah. at the funeral. There's, yeah, a, there's a, a paramount
0: thing. I don't think Warner Brothers owns Gundam. in yeah, any I don't Capacity. I don't, I don't know if they've licensed. I'm sure yeah. they had to do. They had to license it from Namco. Well, they
2: probably had to license the uh, the Mecha Godzilla stuff like that. Yeah, from Toho. Sure. But I mean, we don't have all the Disney stuff, right? Well, they got that sure. with
0: the uh, king kong
1: and the other stuff right
0: well king kong's theirs
1: well king kong and godzilla's are both theirs now remember because we
0: they, oh, just, yeah. they just fought each
2: other oh that is right the, yeah the well life some godzilla's of the licensing is yeah yeah, yeah. i'm
0: sure there is some like weird specificity on like what godzilla has to look like for it to be the oh yeah Warner brothers godzilla yeah, yeah yeah
2: uh anyway yeah I, I mean at the end of the day it's a fine movie i mean it's fine yeah mm-hmm. is where i'm at yeah that's All right. about you Well, uh, singing in the game is a fine
1: movie, but singing in the game. OK, <laughs> I
0: like All it. Right. All right. I like that one yeah,
1: because it's playing with nostalgia and it is doing a thing that is very much a part of the warp and woof of where we are right now, culturally. And so I, I think in that sense, Spielberg very much has uh, the finger on the pulse. But as you guys say, he's not a video gamer guy. And the, there seems to be, even though I'm not a video gamer myself, I, I also thought, posing much? As I'm watching a movie that I don't even do the particular whatever activity that this is sort of about, right? He,
0: he understands that culture is sort of a weird mismatch right now. Right, yeah. But yeah. he doesn't know what to say about it. Yeah. Is that it? I, I Exactly. And so, but that being said, is it
1: incisive in terms of thinking about the ways in which we live our lives online, the way it's monetized, the ways in which, uh, you know, uh, corporations can sort of build up debt? And again, though I owe this more to the source material than I do to Spielberg, I'm sure, uh, the whole idea of the loyalty center, uh, which is a great euphemism for, um, what, sweatshop for
0: Yeah, yeah. what do they call it in uh, debtor's Sorry prison. to Bother You, Worry-Free?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, worry. Ugh, gosh. Uh, so it's it's got a lot of things on the dome that are helpful, but it is at the end of the day, it is the it is the McMatrix. It is the bite sized fast food, uh, deep fried version that is probably more palatable and easier to ingest, but less uh, digestible. Uh, version of the hamburger uh that is the matrix um the metaphor is getting stretched a little thin here
0: but it does make me wonder uh, about matrix 4 in some capacities right there are bits of this that do feel as though it's it it knows that culture has changed with the advent of the internet between it's exi- the existence of ready player one and the matrix mm-hmm. the, the, that span of 20 years or so did allow for a lot of j- Cultural changes to the internet and computing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and so it, it's more aware, it, it, it's more updated, it, it is able to you know be prescient, I guess, perhaps in a way that is more informed because it's further up, yeah, in terms of the timeline. Again, we live in the darkest timeline, uh, cl- clearly here, but yeah, I, the performances though uh, they work just fine. Uh, I do love the uh, the actors together in the real world. I kind of wanted more of the real world than I did the virtual world, yeah, and more of them interacting instead of just hey, by the way. Surprise, surprise! I'm not who you thought I was.
0: Fine. I feel like every single like character dynamic needs one to three more scenes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you're right.
1: I just I, I wanted more of that mm-hmm. uh, and less of the virtual world. Mm-hmm. But that all being said, is it palatable? Yes. Is it able to sort of get the concepts of the Matrix? Into audiences that simply would not have time for or would not have patience for you know going through Bogiard or whatever uh simulacra simulacrum and those kinds of references, yes, it probably does do that, but does it in the end succeed i don't know, um, and does a thing that a lot of uh corporate hollywood uh megalo millionaire uh, types of films do. Yet it's guilty of all of its sins it diagnoses. So, yeah, troubling. That's where I finally fall. So there you go, dear listener. Our thoughts are generally con uh, versus pro and con. Here we're negative, a little cool on the movie, but we're going to talk more about it nonetheless. We're going to do that via an exercise we like to call expanding the syllabus. Arthur, can you explain to the dear listener what Expanding the
2: Syllabus is all about. Yeah, Expanding the Syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble an academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts, from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. There you go. Thank you
1: very much. Well, what are you going to do there, Dalton?
0: Well, we're going to do something about pastiche, and you've already dropped some yes. some critical theory know-how. Um, I, there's some help we, we might need to pivot to you on when we get to our last segment of the show. You can drop some names that'll make everybody feel smart.
1: Friedrich Jameson, go. Yeah, is that, is that somebody that's, who's got that, a lot that's of That's the pastiche guy. <laughs>
0: that's the guy. Okay, yeah. So we'll have to look at him, um, and I'm sure you can say some smart things that he said later uh, if you feel like it. I don't want to. Good. But anyway, we'll we'll look at sort of pastiche cinema because I think that there's something really interesting going on, especially over the last 30, 35 years or so. Um, I want to look at J.J. J. Abrams and his from filmography, really, specifically Super 8. Uh, mm-hmm. which is feels so much indebted to the Amblin w- style or mode mm-hmm. of movie making. Um, I, I want to look at uh, Tarantino and, you know, Hong Kong action cinema, uh, French New Wave, you know, so, sort of his, the big highlights uh, as far as his influences go, because so much of his stuff is, you know, sam movie making as sampling, taking things from different sources and cutting them all together, which is, you know, cool. Similarly, I want to look at Edgar Wright's Coronado trilogy, right? Look at his his zombie influences and, and Dawn of the Dead or uh Shaun of the Dead. Look at his cop movie influences and Hot Fuzz. Look at the, you know, Alien Invasion, Body Snatch, uh, end of the world stuff that he does. And that's I really like a World's End because there is that's the most pastiche of the three, right? It is like pulling a lot of disparate material into one cohesive thing uh and then we would we would look at uh brand as pastiche right we would look at uh nostalgia for brands uh, and you know look at how pastiche does serve nostalgia and nostalgia serves pastiche uh but with that that brand nostalgia we'd we'd look at this movie right player one we'd look at probably space jam two eh, and maybe space jam one and who framed roger rabbit a couple of you know, movies that you could argue do traffic a little bit or a lot of bit um, in in some taking names and things that you know as an audience member, and instead of it being kind of subtext, letting it be the text. I I think that that is interesting. And I think again, pivoting back to to JJ a little bit, I think his filmography is really interesting for that because it is sort of so indebted to a lot of people, um, for better and worse. Um, I, I think that there's really interesting thing there. Uh, I think maybe when we're looking at nostalgia for brands, we look at the Lego Movie. Um, and sort of the way it's a pastiche of a lot of the movies we'd be talking about in this class, just because mm. it does. It's a good one. Yeah, deconstruct the two worlds narratives, uh, chosen one stuff, all that good business. So yeah, I, I think there's something there with with kind of looking at the way that this movie takes a bunch of pieces and stitches them together, and that's not necessarily a bad way to make a movie, you know. But it's not always a good way to make a movie either. <laughs> there's there's you know pros and cons, right?
1: Absolutely. All right, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Dalton. What do you say, Arthur? Uh,
2: I, I really kind of... It, it would kind of go along, I think, with Dalton's. Um, I'd be examining most of these more in a, a historical or at-the-time context, not necessarily a pastiche or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I, I do want to look at the IP event uh, film, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we'd be just be looking at movies that really do focus on crossovers or putting these things together into one world where that was, you know, kind of never expected before, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I kind of want to start, we'll go with Universal uh, and really focusing on Abbott and Costello where uh, we have a run where they do several crossovers with different movie monsters, most notably the Frankenstein one with Frankie, the Wolfman, and Dracula. Um, But it is the idea of taking these kind of dual popularity uh, IPs and saying, hey, let's make even more money off of this. Uh, but doing it in an entertaining way and and kind of going back, you know. And the interesting thing I think here to talk about, and if I had time, I really would have dove into this, but I assemble it really quick. You know, today we kind of think of this in terms of characters or especially animated, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. But really, the idea in classic Hollywood was all of the directors and all of the actors being signed to specific studios and so i think there's something probably really interesting here to actually go in and look at you know when mgm picked up ex director you know or ex actor and like oh i got to see a columbia player in an mgm film or something you know i think there's something kind of interesting about that and i'd like to yeah. kind of look more into that yeah and i think that could be a really cool basis for this class or, or, or at least starting point uh so we would start with abbott and Costello. all these are obviously universal characters but they they work well as a, a starting point uh, from there, I talk about the Alien versus Predator comics. Um, yeah, Dark Horse nice. Publishing. Comics. Yeah, yeah. So these are two franchises, and it's like I, I think this kind of serves as a fan service thing. It's like, oh, it'd be really cool if the Alien and the Predator fought. And then, okay, let's do it. And then,
0: yeah, it's paying off the the skull at the end of Predator, Predator Two. 2 right? yeah. yeah,
2: and so it's a fun idea, and we finally get those for better or worse on the big screen. Uh, but there's this idea of there's a little bit of fan service to it when it's done right and done well. It's okay. Um, because obviously that is part of you know you're working on this popular you know mass marketed product you want to make sales but to kind of play into niche audiences or or um fan service is fine when you, when you can do it right uh, and along with that we'd probably do Freddy versus Jason sure. as well sure. uh to kind of cap that that discussion off uh, and it was the same idea you know when Freddy versus Jason came out for the longest time before that There had always been talk of, oh, we're going to get Freddy versus Jason versus Mike Myers versus Chuck. You know, there's always this idea of this dream film where they would all get to face off. Yeah, and there's always kind of like, I think for for slasher nerds, it was like that really cool idea that would pay out. And they've
0: really kind of gone out. In weird directions in comics, right? They did a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash from Evil Dead, and I yeah, think Pinhead got involved at some yeah. point. Yeah,
2: yeah. And, and comics get to get a little weird because we had what, Archie versus Predator or something like you know oh, stuff God, like Predators that. Predators met everybody. Yeah, yeah which Predator is kind of met fun. Batman and Superman yeah.
0: Alien did, uh, did a Superman one. Yeah, yeah there's wait, all kinds wait.
1: Of stuff. Archie versus Predator? Yeah, yeah baby. Uh, <laughs> Archie came <laughs> yeah. to, or
0: uh, Predator came to Riverdale? <laughs> did, did, did he kill Jughead? I don't, know. I don't. I don't. I've read about what happens in it before, yeah. but I, I've never actually read it.
2: But uh, Freddie vs. Jason, while I think was interesting, I think felt kind of like that compromise. I mean, there's obviously a lot of rights issues trying to get the Friday Thirteenth rights, which are, I think are always kind of in conflict or something's going on with them. Yeah,
1: Paramount's always got a weird sort of yeah. deal with that. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, but they were finally able to manage that film, and I think by and large, it's it's a fun time. Uh, beyond that i want to look at who framed roger rabbit which is kind of the first big instances of this i'm thinking of where we get multiple ips from multiple brands uh or or studios coming together and there we get to talk about the contract stuff of oh if you want to use mickey you got to do it this way and this way and he can't be playing second fiddle to this character and i think that's also a really fun discussion to have and and look at and that kind of gets into some of the stuff we talked about in our reviews of ready player one is like well they couldn't put this on the screen because they didn't have the rights to it, and yeah. I'm sure if Godzilla's there, he does have to look a certain way in, in our American films or whatever. And I think that's just a really interesting production discussion and a business discussion to talk about. This, is
0: a, this kind of plays <laughs> in a little bit, but several years ago now, they made that uh, Mortal Kombat versus DC game um, mm. because both properties are owned by Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. but there were like internal contract conversations about like, okay, well, you can't mess up Batman's Insignia, right? And Batman can't kill anybody. He can't, Batman can't have fatalities. And there, there's a bunch of rules about like how they would make this sort of fatality. Mashup
2: work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? Find out next match. <laughs> 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 um. So after who friend Roger Rabbit, I think we got to talk about the MCU. I, I think we do have to. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. And, and, For better and worse. You know, now it's, you know, 12, 13 years into this thing, it's kind of like, oh, second hat, but. You know that Iron Man, the, the the first Avengers. I mean, those were milestone moments, and culturally, they felt big and different, and and you know, kind of ethereal in a way. And we've kind of killed that now that they're everywhere and doing everything. But uh, it, it is interesting, and I think we're gonna get some of this with Far From Home with Spider Man because we do have that idea of the Sony crossovers with the Marvel and what that's going to look like. So I think it's a fun conversation. And finally, I want to end with free guy because I think it kind of takes it to its most poisoned conclusion. Uh, Free guy obviously is in production at Fox uh, before the merger um, and, and is a tale of a small independent studio, which gets swallowed up by this giant corporation. Right. And it is kind of this idea of fighting back against the big capitalist overventures, um and the ending of this film just feels so cheap against that narrative, as Free Guy begins wielding Cap's shield and a lightsaber to fight off the bad guy. Wait, what? Which feels like the ultimate like? What a weird. What? Movie. Wait, 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 wait! Ryan Reynolds with Cap
1: American shield and a lightsaber. Yeah. Take my money. No. Yeah. Oh, well, it's no. it's, even, it more, sounds it's cool. even more it's even more Matrix. Not. Free it's Guy, not. free no.
0: guy is like what if Ready Player 1 had one of the the NPCs in Ready Player 1 was the lead character. Okay, Isn't right? that the gist of it. Yeah, but, the world the game is like much more Grand Theft Auto-y. But thematically okay.
2: it just feels so poisonous because it's the whole movie is about this small independent group who had a chance who got bought out by this corporate overlord who yeah. wanted to control all the properties. And then in the third act, it just says, hey, have this have this moment of here's an Easter egg of a cap shield or the Hulk. Uh, or so, We can yeah. put anything in it. You know, out. it just kind of feels, okay, yeah. it leaves yeah. a bad taste like, in your like mouth.
1: Yeah. The way they use it, yeah. yeah. I just want to see Ryan Reynolds Surprise. with a lightsaber. You know, I mean, I mean
2: that moment isolated. Yeah, that's kind of cool that yeah. he's doing this. But, but yeah, the it like of the, the usage movie, is bad. Yeah. 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 No, it, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, it's uh it, it's weird. And so I kind of want to discuss that moment uh, in as kind of the, I guess, natural ending place or where we are is, as these corporate you know you kind of allude to warner brothers saying hey keep us relevant you know and, and as they try to remind us of all the properties they own mm-hmm. b- because disney has kind of cornered that market on on owning our childhood and warner brothers is like well we own the other half of your child yeah
0: we got don't worry we got some stuff
1: <laughs> yeah
2: and so it just kind of does feel like a dystopian ending place for for this conversation and that's where i'd go with it
1: fair enough
0: fair like go movie them lego is was lego? It Warner Brothers? Yeah, cuz it's got all the DC all the people Batmans, in it. Yeah. yeah, but it's I was just trying to remember like does Warner Brothers have its hands in Lord of the Rings at all? See,
1: there's a weird arrangement with MGM. What? Because, because MGM Amazon bought New Line.
0: Bu- but Amazon bought MGM. Right. So that is that maybe what happened? I don't know why but Warner some the, Brothers... But
1: some of the New Line properties from MGM have gone into the Warner Brothers kitty, it seems.
2: Well,
0: I, I don't know. I don't understand. I'm just curious because <laughs> oh, they, they, Gandalf or whatever is in the Lego right. movie. Yeah, and I.F. Sauron is in the Batman movie. But I guess they get they get Star Wars in the Lego movie, too. So there's probably some licensing bullshit. Okay.
2: Which probably is a Lego thing, right? Because they have licenses to everyone.
0: Yeah, yeah. God, they sure do.
1: Facts. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What I would do is something a little bit different than what we might do when we get down to analysis, because, I mean, all the postmodernist thoughts we've been having so far are really, really interesting, and some of the industrial thoughts are very interesting as well. But I am just thinking about tracing through cinematic nostalgia itself
0: okay? and
1: mm-hmm. what you might do with that. And one of the first films that I would begin with, strangely enough, is Casablanca. Okay because of you must remember this which is a 30 song that everyone knew And so the setting and time of the film, the reason why the film relies so often on that particular song is because it does sort of push these particular nostalgia buttons, Mm -hmm. and it is, uh, in part, part of why it was such a well-received success. Mm -hmm. Because in terms of the screenplay, or in terms of a set of references, you could find any number of other films from that moment that could have been that movie, there was going to be a 1941 film that was going to be the film and we can look around and see a bunch of movies that do a lot of really iconic things and, and, uh, again, equally as compelling and charismatic performances. But part of the reason why Casablanca works so well is because they use this 10-year-old song some pre-war nostalgia. Right, exactly. To sort of draw that audience in. And so that's sort of a beginning moment of this kind of nostalgia. And then I want to move a little bit further forward and think about, well, the greatest story ever told. The Jesus movie from mm. um, 1960 with, uh, featuring John Wayne, featuring
0: um, Charlton Heston, featuring <laughs> uh, Claude Rains. Feet. God Europeans finding Christianity was just the worst thing that ever happened <laughs> <laughs> oh my God but uh, what but, a
1: weird cast it well, it's it, it, well it's all it's a star How st- do I always forget about this movie <laughs> it's such a star-studded cast and that is part of the value of the movie is not just simply we're going to retell the Jesus story Max von Sydow you know the great sort of European Swedish actor is going to play Jesus uh, and again Swedish Jesus has got a whole set of problems all by itself we're not even going to get into Swedish. that Swedish Swedish Jesus um, it's like Swedish fish oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, okay, hold on. But if ichthys <laughs> was a gummy? Come Sweeti- on. Swedish loaves and fishes. Uh, there's a story in there somewhere. But anyhow, in Greatest Story Ever Told, though, uh, there's a line that Claude Rains has who plays King Herod mm-hmm. when the wise men come through and they're trying to figure out, you know, who is born this king of the Jews. And he says, What greater uh, messenger could a king have than a star? And all of a sudden we know what this movie's about. It's about this sort of star-studded... Again, Claude Rains is old at this point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, John Wayne, I mean, the, he, the, the height of his powers is the 1950s. Yeah. Same with uh, Charlton Heston, who becomes pretty much a B-movie actor. They've kind of the got everybody
0: over the hill in this, which is yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so the reason why the movie works, it's sort of trying to redo what... I mean, Cecil B. DeMille does the same thing with the Ten Commandments, which is almost as easy of a pick.
0: The epics. You know, we
1: we already mentioned Edward G. Robinson. Edward G. Robinson is the, the bad Jew who uh, uh, wants to... Uh, uh, worship the golden calf, right? You know, ah, I make a gal- cal- calf of gold, you see? Uh, it's doing that whole thing. So that movie's doing something similar, but it's further removed and really playing into those sort of nostalgia moments there. And I, I find that to be really, really interesting. And then, uh, flashing a little bit further forward, I'm thinking about a 90s movie that I think might be a good non-American example of this. And that's a movie called uh, Goodbye Lenin, starring Daniel Bruhl. And uh, Goodbye Lenin is about this phenomenon called Oestalgia, or Oestalgie, which is uh, Eastern German, uh, now just German citizens, who miss East Germany, who miss the People's Republic, and the particular kind of pickles, because there's only one brand of pickles you could have. And and so it's a movie in which... uh, Daniel Brühl's mom is very, very loyal, Leninist, you know, uh, very, very much part of the Communist Party in Germany, and she has a stroke or a seizure and goes into a coma for a while, and she wakes up after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and he can't tell her. And so the whole movie is him trying to sort of, like,
0: you know, gaslight his... Cue yakity sacks
1: (laughs) (laughs) Trying to... You know, hide uh, the the news broadcasts and trying to hide just the the again the westernization of the culture and all of that. So no, 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 it's still this older thing, right? Uh, And then that that sort of longing for a past, even that past is kind of not awesome, is kind of an interesting phenomenon there. Which brings us to who's framing Roger Rabbit, Mm -hmm. which I think is an interesting movie because it is bringing all these internet uh, internet properties, intellectual properties together, but it's also doing so in a 1980s film that's basically doing a 1940s film, film noir. Mm-hmm. And it's
0: kind of doing a 1970s film because it's the plot of Chinatown. It's,
1: exactly. And, and the Chinatown itself is a retro noir doing this nostalgia, and so the layers can sort of keep folding, folding, and folding. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about that as well, I think, is an interesting uh, way to just start talking about the pleasures of nostalgia in general, but also what it is about this that Hollywood keeps coming back to, which my last two films, which would work in tandem together, are Singing in the Rain and The Artist, both of which are films um, that sort of love letters to the silent era to sound transition. And both of those films are very much in love with those earlier musical moments uh, that we saw in those earlier films, and yet trying to sort of do something else the same. I, it, 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 it's complex and so I find that whole conversation there to be pretty fascinating so that would be a long module if not a course unto itself so there you go friends and neighbors those are our thoughts about expanding the syllabus I believe now we probably better get down to business
2: business
1: Writer, listener in that business is, as always, nos- uh, nostalgia. <laughs> Analysis. Sometimes. I was thinking about nostalgia. Why do we like it? I have a question. We are in this mis- Stranger Things.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, bleh, we can... what are, why are we obsessed with the late 20th century?
1: Yeah, especially the 80s, but not only the 80s. So what is it about nostalgia? What is, what is exactly happening culturally? What is our diagnosis? Well,
2: uh, we want to make America great again because Uh-oh. we can't handle the uh, current uh-uh. uh, state of things. That's sort right.
0: of been the the problem for a hundred or years, or well, probably at least to the 1850s. <laughs> it's been the problem. That's sort of been America's cultural issue. Is like, God, weren't things better about 20 years ago? I mean, when do we, I mean, which is what we keep saying, right? right. So, so it's, it's not new. Exactly. This
2: is, yeah, I mean, nostalgia is always a thing, I think, but most of our pop culture is, you know, nostalgia driven either through remake or reboot or.
0: It feels heightened at this point. Yeah,
2: I mean, it does. It's, and
0: it's Ready Player One comes out what year?
2: The book, I, I mean. think. The movie's twenty fifteen. no, it was earlier than that because it said twenty ten. They were developing it. Hang on, I've got it pulled up right here. Come on, two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven.
0: So it's it's so weird that the flattening of culture has been so drastic in the let's say just those ten years between the publishing of this novel and right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's weird that that book's supposed premise what if the uh, what if there were an internet <laughs> and what and what if the internet was full of bobby zemeckis and and spielberg movies that's kind of what happened and it, it i don't know in 2011 it was sort of already happening but it hadn't really felt set in stone yet uh, right i mean right. this
2: i mean it feels like a millennial trend right
0: sure and i feel you know i you hear tell that the zoomers love early aughts bullshit so i guess the twenty first early 21st century nostalgia is already grinding up But it does still feel like in so much as that there's a big culture, right? It's both flattened and fractured in a weird way. And the stuff that is still big mainstream, lots of eyeballs get to it. It's got to use stuff that's already had lots of eyeballs on it. I mean, Hollywood is confused about how to get people to go to the movies. Uh, Maybe we should make movies differently. I don't know. That's sort of been the problem with Hollywood for its entirety, right? Is Is it's caught between the commerce and the artistry? And it, it, it is weird that culture has become Ernst Klein's book. It, it is baffling to me because the whole premise of 2011's Ready Player One is that this guy Willy wonka the VR internet. He took the metaverse from which one's, I can't remember which one's Snow Crash and which one's Neuromancer, but those cyberpunk novels that both have like pre-internet predictions. It takes both of those ideas, takes the Matrix and says, okay, but make it like VR gaming which wasn't really a thing quite yet in 2011 anyway. So it was already doing a bit of sci-fi predicting. But it's, it, I don't know. It, it says, what if the late 20th century were popular for another 40 years, basically? Like, God, does it have to be like that? Gee, as cool as it is to see a a Gundam, like, try to decapitate Mecha Godzilla, which is maybe one of the cooler images in the movie, I also hate that the Iron Giant... Has to become a gun, the thing that the Iron Giant didn't want to be, right?
2: It, it's, I mean, is this another thing we trace back to nine eleven? Like, is it one of those things where it's like
0: nobody knows how to make it? Yeah, well, not,
2: not that. It's just like remember before nine eleven?
1: Yeah, maybe it is. You know what I mean? Like an age of innocence kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if
2: that's part of. I mean,
1: yeah, I I, I wonder that, but I, I think Dalton hit on something that I found found pretty interesting.
0: I saw you crinkle your eyebrow at one point. Well, yeah. there
1: there's a way in which. Things that used to work are are oftentimes what Hollywood sort of goes back toward, right? Yeah.
0: And so... I mean, this is going back to, like, what The Matrix worked. Let's do another one of those. I was was thinking about the 60s and
1: how there was this sort of uh, real death in uh, cinema attendance in the 60s. Sure. And then all of a sudden we had CinemaScope and we had uh, whatever uh, Warner Brothers version of that was. And uh, these, you know, huge sort of screens and productions, these sort of technological... Proto IMAX. Proto IMAX kind of... uh, uh, exhibition techniques that were being used, and I was like, well, we'll just make it bigger. And yet audiences didn't come. They were, wanted to do what they were doing, but they wanted to sort of expand it. And what ended up what ended up working was the new Hollywood, where uh, New Blood came in, but not only New Blood, New Blood came in with influences that were outside of the Hol- the, the, the French New Wave particularly. Yeah. Uh, influenced Coppola and Spielberg and Lucas and... Bogdanovich, and we could go on and but then on. An American
0: on. film goes on to be influenced by yeah, those guys. Sidney Pollock, yeah.
1: I mean, ever. we would go on and on, but though those uh, that that new blood moment finally did sort of arrive, but kind of by luck, yeah. And uh, because that was not really what was expected to work. And I wonder if this LEGO sequel nostalgia thing that we're finding ourselves in the midst of is cinemascope is doing the 60s all over again in an attempt Hmm. to find something to pull in an audience. But what I find, I think, I'm pretty tuned into this sort of 80s nostalgia stuff, and you guys are, you know, we're on on a movie podcast, so we're all very, very tuned into 80s pop culture, 90s pop culture, odds, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. But I don't know
0: that general audiences pay attention the same way. This is the thing that's interesting to me about, like, this movie's references, right? Because you'll get a chess burster jumping out of Goro, which, which is, is fun. It's that's a great image. Like that's look, I'm a dumb idiot. As you said, we're, we're all, you know, dumb pop culture idiots in our own way. And that's one image that appeals to me, especially. Yeah. I like both of those things quite a bit. I'm dumb. Uh, but but it's then then you'll get a, a twenty year old kid
1: right now, yeah, yeah.
0: But so and I guess that's why they've got Master Chief and Overwatch, right? Because I don't know, they Zoomers play video games. I, yeah, everybody yes. plays video games. Like every age group dabbles, uh, whether it's you know a gaming PC or a phone game. Like it's it's all the same shit. So it's I, I, is that what they're trying to appeal to? Quote the kids with? Because I truly don't. I mean, this movie did well, right? It made yeah, it's like pretty... one hundred
2: fifty or something. I mean, hang on, it may have been higher than that. I just had it pulled up a second ago. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, I, I think that uh, it, it is interesting because, uh, yeah, it grossed 137.
0: Is that domestic? Or? Worldwide
2: total gross of 582. So, I mean, yeah, it makes half a that billion. Half a billion dollars, a yeah. Lot.
0: I mean, but uh, dem- or domestic, yeah, it's still a lot. So young people had to have gone to see this movie. Like, I don't know. I get what you're saying. What Maybe. are the references they like? But, you know, Stranger Things is one of the most popular things yeah. on the internet. So. Yeah.
2: And, I mean, I, I, you know, Stranger Things is one that does it well, right? Like, costuming, yes. Oh, they play D&D, okay. But it doesn't feel... I think uh, Captain Marvel's kind of the opposite side of this, where Captain Marvel feels like a nostalgia grab. Right. Oh, there's a blockbuster. Oh, there's a Radio Shack. What are those things? Oh, here's a Nine Inch Nails, or yeah. you know, whatever. Nirvana song. But yeah. you'll
0: always find uh, somebody who'll go, "Well, Nine Inch Nails wasn't that popular in the '90s," or "Well, The Evil Dead wasn't that popular when Stranger Things
2: was set." Like this yeah. kid wouldn't have that poster. But it feels more subtle, is what I'm trying to say. Sure, I get what I you're think. saying. It, um, it, yeah. And I I, and I don't know. I, I just I don't know that. The Zoomers, or or, you know, this kind of group right now that is sixteen to twenty two, are as culturally literate as older generations think. You know, teaching them, speaking with them, yeah, you guys—they don't watch movies in the same way we did. You know what I mean? Like, right? I mean, they're very plugged into their phones, and so if it's you know a, a trend or something on a TikTok or Reels or you know something like that, I think they're very tuned into or musical, musically. Uh, or, or really into certain like sub niche groups like anime things like that. I think take yeah. in a new form with current generations, but they don't watch movies in the same way we do. A few do, but it, it's kind it's, of it's a return rare.
0: to a niche hobby. Yeah, the movie going, and I think that's where we're and I, headed. I, I think probably. you know the
2: the thing with the legacy sequel and, and what Hollywood's attempting to do is aimed at. Millennials. I I think the millennials are the ones that yeah. respond to that. And and maybe Gen X a little bit, depending on well. the what the nostalgia is, right? Right. If it's sixties, seventies, or eighties, maybe. I guess but oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just I don't, you know, I don't know. I think Hollywood doesn't know who their audience is or what they want. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the audiences that they are pulling in are who they think they're pulling in. But they're pulling in enough of that audience to make money, right? I mean, the, enough millennials are like, "Oh, yeah. Ready Player One." There's there's Batman and Voldemort in the same movie. Let's go, you know? What I mean,
0: yeah, I th- I totally think you, you're right that that's that's really who they're they're pivoting towards because I feel like I don't know I could be wrong about this. I feel like that's one of the things that uh, millennials and uh, Gen X get made fun of by uh, Gen Z for. Right? Is is the nostalgia stuff? Is the mm-hmm. pop culture stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, that should rightfully so be one of the things that we get roasted for. So I don't, I don't know how, like you said, I don't know, like, what pop culture appeals to them. And obviously, you're right. I think a lot of this is aimed at our generation, especially people our age who have kids, right? And I think
2: their, I mean, their world moves so much faster than ours. I mean, they're, you know, they're moving and I I think the idea behind Quibi wasn't a terrible idea, right? I mean, they were trying to make TikTok. They just didn't know that that's yeah, what they I mean, were trying to make. I think delivering bite-sized shows wasn't the worst idea, but I don't know if that's what younger generations want either. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think they're living in a much different moment than we do. Oh like, my god, yeah. I think what well, part of the transition is about information accumulation.
1: So, Ooh, I mean, well, you, and you, that's. In this movie, right? You start yeah. thinking about it, you know, uh, 50s and 60s kids, you know, early boomers even, uh, accumulating baseball scores, knowing everything about Boris mm. Karloff and the monster movies, those little monster mags, you know, the various comic book uh, fandoms as they were developing in the first wave of comics in that, in that age from yeah. the 60s. That, that information was not easily accessible. You had to work really hard for it, and then you would have these conversations that were really rich because you now had this new kind of shared language. Flash forward to excerpts and millennials. We now have access to the internet at the first uh, ends, uh, sort of onset of the internet, and we can get a lot of that info and really sort of, I guess, up the depth, increase the amount of knowledge that could be retained by a single person. And again,
0: that's when nerddom became really gatekeeper at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've uh, talked about this, but I think uh, yeah. maybe when we did high fidelity, but like yeah, the idea that knowing about Pop culture like started to have knowing about bands started mm. to have less cachet at some
1: point. Right, yeah, and it, but that was the fun thing before that. And yeah. I think at this time uh that the the Zoomers and these other you know post millennials uh, generations are they don't yeah they, even they the have, young millennials they have they have access to all the information all the time anyway. And so, if I'm not already into it, why would I even bother looking at We've it? We've killed
2: curiosity. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. This is what's happened.
1: Yeah, and so you don't investigate the you know the connections. Well, I really like this band. Well, who influenced that band? Who influenced that yeah. band? Oh, he also played a little guitar on this other album. I want to yeah. check that out. There's none of that kind of stuff going on, which anymore. is
0: weird to me because I you know the I, I would think. That if when I found out that that one meme was Robert Redford, of all people, in a movie called Jeremiah Johnson that I'd never heard of, mm. my first thought was, well, I guess I got to watch Jeremiah Johnson at some point. And I know that I'm kind of in a weird... Yeah,
2: and younger audiences I'm, are like, who's Robert Redford?
0: Ex- there you go. I ba- And I barely know who Redford <laughs> is,
1: right? But they, yeah. but they, they yeah. don't care to find out. And it's yeah. like, hey, that's Robert Redford and Jeremiah Johnson. And like, cool.
0: What's next? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's very interesting to me that that yeah. is sort of.
2: Well, it's that idea, you know, I,
0: just a, a time a delineation between mm-hmm. these two age groups.
2: Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, it's kind of similar to how uh, I'll sit on my couch for an hour and a half going through Netflix, Hulu, Prime, Shutter, and not watching anything. Yeah. Just be like, oh, there's a lot oh, here. I've got that. I've got so many options. I'll just do something later. Yeah. yeah, and then I'll just watch you know some YouTube videos or or, yeah. or something else because I think there's also this maybe sense of overwhelmingness. Yeah, yeah. it's like to that a... much information. Like, where do you even begin? Yeah, right?
0: it's like being a sexual deviant in Amsterdam. It's just all the options it's are open for choice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to move on though. And more power to
1: you, to be clear. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, in terms of our postmodernist discussion, I guess we ought to at least talk a little bit about pastiche and homage and sure. Charity, which are the three versions of um uh, postmodernist sort of uh, artistic aesthetics so kind of the wb of it all homage always involves pastiche so pastiche is any time you ape or imitate Parrot another person, another artist, another movement, style, trappings, and aesthetics. I
0: would say, think when community does a Law and Order episode, right? Yeah, that's 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 homage, not parody. Yeah, which is a fine line.
1: It's always going to be uh, a a pastiche, right? It's always a pastiche. Now, when you do it reverently to honor and to elevate that thing, that's when it becomes an homage. Yeah. Uh, When you do it in order to send it up, in order to uh, make fun of it, that's when it becomes parody. But both are just sort of various expressions of the same idea of pastiche. So, as you mentioned earlier, sampling is sort of what Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking style could be best described as. And that is a lot of what this film is as well. It's a lot of sampling of various kinds of movie making. I mean... Even score-wise, it's it's sampling bits of the Back to the Future soundtrack, and even when it's not directly using the same uh, musical cues from Back to the Future, they're still the same sort of like, hey, I'm going to do this thing, and we're going like, to gently play the chimes here, dee-dee-dee-dee-dee-dee, and then we're going to move on. Get some shining horns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the shining itself, uh, mm-hmm. using that uh, is a way in which we sort of, again, we pastiche, we patched that into we didn't invent those uh, set designs we didn 't invent those aesthetics, take those in there, but I, again, I think Spielberg here is probably doing a much more homage-y kind of filmmaking to Kubrick, who he was a friend with, and you know they you know yeah. finished um iRobot or whatever that movie was yeah a i that's the one um
2: Stanley Kubrick's *I Robot* with Will Smith is a much different movie. God, I want to watch that movie. <laughs> so,
0: you, I just like to think about how Alan Tudyk is the co-star of that movie. That's maybe the biggest lead, say, like second oh, he lead robot? he'll ever get. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah,
1: but yeah, that's that's what Jameson would say uh, about sort of framing the taxonomy of what was going on here. I don't know if we have any more to say about homage and pastiche. And it, it does
2: feel very reverent. Parody. I think it you know. is reverent. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure that that's a, you know, studio mandate, right? Like, be nice to King Kong. King Kong's got to be cool, you know? You can you can be mean to the Adam West Batmobile, but you can't be mean to the Christopher Nolan Batmobile, right? right? Like, I'm sure there's there's a whole laundry list of bullshit that they were handed. And, I'm I, you know, I'm also deeply fascinated by, you know, the, I know we've talked about the right stuff, but it is super interesting. You know, I'm sure somebody has accumulated this information somewhere where you can go find out exactly who got... You know, but I'm sure some of it's totally secret too. And so.
2: mm-hmm. in, in, in Wikipedia, just a quick trivia note is said that uh, Spielberg was able to clear about eighty percent of the licensing from the book. There you go, because he was Steven Spielberg. That makes sense, which and that's helps quite probably a
0: probably why he ended up getting the job, right? Because right. everybody wants to work with Steve, yeah, and right. that makes a lot of sense to me. Do we want to, at that point, speaking of Steve, talk about? sort of how it's weird that he's making a movie that's in love with his movies sure. or that he's adapting a source material that's in love with his movies. I will
1: say, yes, it's weird. Uh, do you have more that you want to say <sighs> about it than that?
0: Do, do, how do you think it impacts the film? I guess, you know, do, I, cause I'm so curious, like what his thought process as a filmmaker is. Well, Trying to homage his own stuff.
2: Back to the wiki trivia. It says he dropped several references to his own work because he didn't want to come off as yeah, vain. That's good. You know that makes sense. So I think, but I think a lot of it is pretty. I mean, I mean, you get the T Rex from
1: Jurassic Park. I yeah. mean, that's the T Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Right? That's all you need.
2: Yeah, yeah. And but I'm, I mean, he's so pivotal to that period. Yeah. Even without putting explicit references to his films in here. Yeah. yeah he's still going to have a pretty big thumbprint on it. I'm telling you what, that Easter egg scene could have looked
1: like Temple of Doom or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark easily. Yeah, sure. Right, and it didn't. And so
2: those are choices. Yeah, Well, they do that little dance number, and I thought immediately of uh, Temple of Doom.
1: Mm. With Mm. that
2: opening uh, Bugsby Berkeley number. Right, right, yeah.
1: So um, I was going to wonder about this, and I I had a couple other things to think about, but I think we're going to sort of uh, pare them down. What do we think about... um, Anti-capitalist, um, capitalist production.
2: Down, this, with, v- down with the <laughs> machine inside the machine.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, is, is and story. how much of this we're seeing right now.
2: Amazon is bad, says Warner Brothers.
0: Yeah, I, right? <laughs> it's so maddening. Watching I mean, the, the yeah. last half hour of this movie... God, I, I just like to picture somebody like Slavo, uh, old Slavo Zizek watching this movie, like don't, just pulling his hair out, trying just to figure spitting. out the ideology of this movie. <laughs> well, yeah. then he
1: would say it is ideology. You don't know you're doing it, and you're doing it, or you know you're doing it, and you're pretending anyway, right?
0: That's and that's I think what's so insidious, right? Is and the, the Warner Brothers of it all, which mm-hmm. I know I keep saying, but like pretending you don't know that you're making a commercial for your intellectual properties. Well,
2: I, I, thematically, we've talked about this before when we talked about Jurassic Park, right? Because there is that sequence in there when they're sitting in the restaurant and there's all the memorabilia and they're discussing the dangers of of Slapping franchising it in a lunch this, box, yeah, yeah, and, and we still question because well, that's exactly what they did with Jurassic Park, right? They slapped it on every toy stuffed animal and video game they could find and so this is a kind of thematic through line that's there but it's also like I mean Steven I mean.
0: is it an apology to say we did this for sorry see that's one thing that I think about right is is I don't think so no I don't know either, but I think right? that yeah. there's a version of this movie that is uh, boomers are sorry that we uh, monopolized culture mm. uh, and I, I think that's I don't know th- there is a real like <sighs> the Oasis is closed on Tuesdays and Thursdays is such a funny old man thing like i love i i don't know i think it's i love it it's mm-hmm. very funny to me i don't know if it's a good choice for the movie but i think it's hilarious
1: <laughs> we're gonna take we're gonna set our phones down while we
0: have dinner That's, i mean
1: it, it is what it feels like that yes. kind of boomer kind of yeah. rule
0: right yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's so funny well and it just like underlines some of the grossest stuff from this movie in the novel right where it's like <laughs> Isn't it cool to make out with your hot girlfriend, though? Nerd. Like, okay, whatever, got, Ready Player We've got the one.
2: world's resources at our fingertips, and we're not going to solve any issues. Nope. I'm going to buy this really nice loft apartment, though.
0: That loft does look sick. It uh, does. But, but, like, Kira is literally the second key, right? Uh, uh, the The Willy Wonka of this universe's failed romantic pursuit is the golden key. Like are, the the woman is the the, the reward. Like mm-hmm. it, the subtext of so many bad stories is made literal uh, in this film. In and a let's way. not
1: forget the Freudian imagery of a key in a lock for this. And
0: boy do they really I, I'm so glad you brought I didn't wasn't gonna say it, but there the is Aging Doctor Freud is saying yeah. The the insert shot of that final key is <laughs> graphic. <laughs> but yeah it's a it's <laughs> The 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 book has so much more like she's so hot and she doesn't even know it content yeah Uh, and I don't know man yes
2: the the horrendous birthmark on her face that makes her port wine uh... birthmark (laughs) Olivia (laughs) Cook
0: (laughs) (laughs) nobody (laughs) wants to buy her a nice pasta dinner (laughs) but you know you mentioned get rid of those Jessica Rabbit bangs (laughs) she's great in this movie by the way she's good she's great
1: I was gonna come back to it though because you do mention sorry to bother you earlier in the in the show, and yeah. which is a, a much more independent sort of style of filmmaking. It's a much more outsider filmmaker with the form of Boots Riley from The Coup. And so you've got some things working in that film that is also incisive and is also seeing and diagnosing some of these sort of cultural uh, again, Internet life kind of problems, uh, again, and also addressing issues of systemic racism, which apparently doesn't exist in the world of Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah,
0: we figured that out by the time we get yeah, to 2040. We, we've solved that. Yeah, don't worry about it. But anyway, that, that all
1: sudden well, they're in Ohio anyway. There's nobody white people there, right? Do you, uh, can I tell you <laughs> just something? kidding.
0: Uh, look, I, I want to make it clear that we're not mad at this movie for moving the uh, setting from Oklahoma City to Columbus, Ohio. That's not why we're mad at the movie. No, we're not. For the record, for the record, it I is dumb. actually. I did not know it was in Oklahoma City. Yep, yeah. huh? Yeah, it's uh... in the book. It's literally the the uh, neighborhood that doesn't exist anymore. Where would
2: the stacks be?
0: The stacks existed. The stacks were real. It's like right off of where like old I forty or new I forty is, right? I guess it would have been around old I forty by
1: the Bass Pro Shop. Like, yeah, that area. Yeah, yeah, the, like that's sort of like uh, it's kind of like a homeless encampment over there. Yeah. That sort of moves around. There was a, still there, now there was a
0: neighborhood called the stacks that was like really? between the highways. Once upon
2: a time, huh. yeah,
0: huh. it's mostly gone. It's been a while. I, I used to know somebody that used to live there. So no, i these, did not know these, Were this? these stacks?
2: Of trailers? No, these were built. Oh, go ahead. After a bunch of tornadoes just came through,
0: buddy, (laughs) buddy. When I read the book, I remember thinking, like, I don't know, a high rise built out of trailers in Oklahoma? Uh, That seems seems dicey. Seems very suspect. Someone has
2: never been to Oklahoma. Didn't live
1: here for very long. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I think the kids would say they find that cringe. Uh, moving right along, though... Is uh, that what your your sons say to you? Uh, all the time. And then I say, um, I think it's sus when you say just that. Tell them, tell, <laughs> tell, that... Tell them, just tell them you're based. <laughs> tell them you're based I you know it. Yeah, I'm based and I know it, <laughs> so yeah. you take your cringe elsewhere. <laughs> uh, they hate it so much, and it makes me so happy. But anyway, uh, coming back, though, this idea, though, of, mo- again, corporate-produced... Industrial art, industrialized, you know, factory assembly art is what cinema is. Especially American cinema. And it's always going to be a product of, again, sort of a factory process. And again, factory processes could be uh, more communitarian or communistic, or they could be more capitalistic. That's that's always possible. (laughs) Um, But coming out of Hollywood, it tends to be that. And what is it about Sorry to Bother You that they're able to achieve their kind of Uh, critique in a way that makes it seem ten-eared when we see something like Ready Player One, or even The Matrix. I mean, frankly, a a big Warner Brothers property as well.
0: Yeah, a million years ago when we talked about that movie, we did kind of talk about its shortcomings as a a revolutionary narrative, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, sorry to bother you, just, I don't know, because it is made by somebody with a very clear ideological point of view, its critique is more specific, because Boots Riley has specific thoughts on the issue. And I don't know that Stephen has anything other than a general thought that this seems bad
2: yeah i think the other deal you know you already mentioned obviously uh sorry to bother you being a very independent production right which allows more freedom i think for the creators to be able to have that messaging when you're dealing with warner brothers or disney all the best you could do is ask isn't this bad or maybe this isn't the best idea but you can't really i I don't think you provide a deeper take
0: Well, uh, the the last thing I have to say about it is also the labor of love that Sorry to Bother You is, right? Mm -hmm. It's an album that became a screenplay, or it was a screenplay that became an album that eventually became a movie that then became another album. Like, there's so much, you know, decades of work, decade, maybe probably more than a decade of work put into it by Boots Riley and the coup. Like, there is so much love here. And I'm sure Ernst Klein's novel is a labor of love for him, but this movie is certainly not a labor of love for anybody it's a you know number on a spreadsheet well here's the thing that i
1: i I find that happens a lot with these movies that it makes me really cynical about that this kind of revolution and bringing these people down uh that are sort of the corporate overlords who are are wrecking our lives it either is set in a uh, fantasy or high science fiction kind of setting. You know, you're looking at your Dunes or your Star Trek or whatever you well, want.
0: Was, we just talked about this recently in another show, didn't we? I don't know. Maybe we have. Go ahead. I'll, but but I'll it's either set notes.
1: in that or it's set in a video game. And it seems to me that what uh, revolution becomes, or what liberation, equality, fairness, and justice becomes, is something that needs to be something that's only really uh, achievable. In the realm of the virtual, in the realm of entertainment, or in the realm of the video game. The real and Again, the real world accomplishment there is not really present in this film. And uh, that seems to be what, the that's the, just how the movie's able to have its cake and eat it too. Well, wait, well, I don't. Oh, go ahead. It's popular as something that audiences want, but we're going to sell it in such a way that it's a video game thing. I don't I know, know that thing. anything
2: really feels revolutionary. scenario. About this, though. No. I don't think that's the type of narrative it is. Yeah, I don't
0: think so either. Because because Wade Watts specifically says, we stop trying to fix the world. Right. Yeah. And presumably, now that they have fixed the Oasis and make people go out into the real world, I guess we're supposed to assume they might try to fix the world. But it's still clearly a consumer-based culture, right? right. It's just moved to consumer electronics fully, which is, I guess, kind of where we're at already. But like, it doesn't address the... I don't know the larger uh, issues, and how could it? But I mean, there's right. a, a myriad geopolitical, uh, colonial issue at play here of, of how we get all of our good computer goodies. Uh, I, the movie's just not going to deal with it because it doesn't. Uh, the book doesn't deal with it. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, there's been climate catastrophe because, of course, there has been because we all went online and stopped worrying about anything. Which, again, a little distressing to think mm-hmm. about sometimes.
1: I, do, I just wonder if it anesthetizes real activism, is what I wonder. <sighs> <sighs>
0: Good question. I don't know.
2: I don't think a movie that approached it from a straightforward real world standpoint would get the audience, nor do I think the audience would buy the message.
1: Mm, Perhaps, yeah.
2: And I think that's a more cynical way to look at population in general. But I think that's where we're at. Yeah. Most of the people who go to see these movies are pro-capitalism. Right. I think at the end of the day. Yeah,
0: even if they don't like, wouldn't think of it in those terms. Yes. Yeah, probably. It's the way things are, and it's
2: okay. It's not because that if rogue. you did switch it and say, you know, start preaching unionization or communism or you know, yeah, it's not like the OAC. They're going to turn their heads, minds off, and like, no, that's ev- that's you know, that movie's garbage. Because put the interesting politics movie, into my movie
1: is like the labor movement in the Loyalty Center. Right, yeah. or an anti-slavery narrative of yep. this sort of crushing debt, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, like, then we really don't address the existence of debtors' prisons other than like, and then they were abolished. Right, and it's like that would be an, a very, and again, because some dude got a bunch of money, is
1: what it, uh, and so that's very troubling to me. But
2: That he uses to buy a loft apartment.
0: I think they say that he it's, he's and getting fixed getting no other got like a half a trillion dollars is what he's inheriting, I yeah. think that's what they say. Good God. That's a lot of money. And that's, yeah, it's just about being such a good gamer that you inherit wealth. I don't know that that's a great message for anybody.
2: Yeah. I, I, I think the idea of them banding together to change the world and as soon as they got what they want and need to do that they just say, yeah, we'll turn it off two days a week, and I'm just going to hang out in my apartment.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sam slash Artemis does go from being a revolutionary to being cool hanging out in Wade's lot very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and again, again, all these characters are kind of undercooked, right? Yes. Everybody's missing a few scenes of characterization in a big way. Um, but that's, you know, that's not the movie it is, right? Yeah. You can't have a scene in the Oasis where they're just, like, hanging out in a chat because that's not visually compelling. And even if it were... You can't spend that much money on a CGI scene where it's just H's avatar and uh, uh, per, per, Percival's? Percival. Percival's avatar just sitting on a digital couch, like shooting the shit. Right. The one scene that you get like that is just like, you're too nice. Yeah. I, you like this girl too much. It's like the one scene of them yeah. hanging out that we get. That and the holy hand grenade purchase scene, which is hilarious, but yeah. Pretty okay. Yeah. We like the references. It, sometimes. it, it pleases me. Right. <sighs> There are moments in this movie that make you mad at yourself. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm mad how much I like them. it. I'm mad that this is working on me. Yeah. There's moments that I, th- I think Mark Rylance is so good in this movie and really does sell this guy as, like, the saddest man-child that ever lived and, like, makes that seem like a good person. In some Like, how it somehow managed to make this billionaire who uh, broke the world seem redemptive in some way mm-hmm. that's just mark Rylance magic baby yeah that's that's good acting uh i don't know that this movie has anything else worth redemptive value i'm I'm so bummed out at your your prognosis about <laughs> quote unquote revolutionary narratives in American cinema killing real activism. It makes you just think about like i don't know culture war bullshit and how right. it's just like you either think this or you think this, and that's the discourse right, <laughs> and from never never shall we escape from it.
1: Okay, well, what a time to be alive! Let's render a verdict, shall we? <laughs> yeah, there you have it. Shelf for trash, go, Arthur. Uh, trash. Correct. <laughs> Shelf for trash to Holton.
0: Yeah, as much as uh, debt prison seems imminent in this reality i don't think that there's anything useful in this film to, to help us diagnose our real world problems it is unfortunately trash
1: uh i'm also gonna say trash there are much better versions of even commercial versions of this movie i'd, I'd rather just take w- with your vegetables and take the matrix uh than this or uh, a more contemporary version like sorry to bother you
2: or the lego movie or who framed roger rabbit yeah, yeah.
0: Or, or any like late period spielberg movie like he's got good late period movies mm-hmm. it's the stuff that he's making in between stuff like ready player one yeah which is you know those are kind of thorny ideologically speaking but at least you know it seems like he cares about like the story uh, right. in bridge of spies or, or the post right
1: yeah so there you go dear listener those are our thoughts regarding that if you have thoughts regarding all of this and you very well might uh we'd love to hear from you dalton tell him how
0: Yeah. If you want to talk to us about this or anything else, you can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. I'm sorry. It's at good trash media. Don't listen to me. I've been doing this for so long. Sometimes the old one just creeps in. That's at good trash media. If you have the big misfortune of being on Twitter, Uh, you can also just email the show. Good trash genre cast at gmail.com. And of course we would appreciate it if you, uh, I don't know who listens to podcasts, but doesn't subscribe to them. But if you're not, that's cool. You know, tell people about the show or whatever. Um, uh, if you, if you want Arthur to pick a DVD or Blu-ray for you, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM and, uh, fill out a little survey, give us some, some money to help keep the web fees paid. And, uh, yeah, every quarter you'll get, uh, a selection chosen for you based on actors and movies you like. It's pretty scientific is what I say. <laughs> Seems based. Uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs>
2: that's my analysis machine running Uh, in the background yeah yeah that's that's the that's uh, my bat computer the (laughs) arthotron
1: the arthotron nine thousand. um all right well thank you very much for that mr dalton stewart i guess
0: we're so discouraged by the value
1: of cinema i guess we might can do
0: one more movie (laughs) i mean there are times when i i'll be honest there are times when we were getting ready for an episode and i think how is it really worth dedicating this much of my life to movies God, should I have picked another hobby when I was 17? Shit. It's too late to go back I, now. I can't. I, exactly. I can't, like, can't, get into, can't get into baseball now. Yeah, yeah. I can't, yeah, exactly. I can't become a sports guy at 31.
2: <laughs> it's over for us.
0: Oh, golly. Well, are we going to do
1: another one, Martha? Oh,
2: I guess we will. As we enter a season devoted to family and friends, we're going to start a new marathon that's focused entirely on friendship. As we take a look at the buddy comedy, get this guy a bib, and we kick things off next week as we go for a midnight run.
0: Ooh, Charles Grodin, Robert De Niro, baby. I have been wanting to see this movie. Do I know anything about this?
2: So long. A bounty hunter called Jack Walsh is hired to find a criminal accountant known as the Duke and bring him to Los Angeles. But when Jack finds the Duke, he discovers that the FBI is equally interested in tracking him down. This ignites a cross-country chase while Jack must endure his hostage's erratic personality. Do you know Directed by Martin Brest.
0: Dustin, I assumed you would know about this movie because this is like a... No, this
2: is 1988, baby. Um, yeah, this is a
0: late 80s, early 90s This HBO is one I just classic. must have
2: not caught.
0: Yeah, yeah, I no. know about this because of like other film people about your age that they grew up watching this on cable. Yeah.
1: All right, then. I'm really, I've been wanting it, to get it, around to this for it's a while. A blind, to... it, it is so blind a spot. I didn't know the spot was blind. Oh. Well, so, there you go. There, there it is. you go. We'll, we'll take a look at that and we'll keep talking about it. So you just keep watching. We'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>